Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. How will free change the world? Come find out at the Ohio Linux Fest 2010, Saturday, September 11th, and Sunday, September 12th, including a special early bird and medical tracks on Friday the 10th. Register now for the festival and optional OLFU courses at ohiolinux.org. Now, back to you, Richard and Russ. Shiny new from the basement of the Chinese Laundry on South Bruckner, or Buckner Boulevard in Dallas, Texas. This is KB5JBV and you're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. Let me introduce to you the star of our show, Russ, K5TUX up in Arkansas. Say hello, Russ. Hi, everybody. Unfortunately, I'm not in some grandiose place like sitting on a beach sipping tequilas in the Bahamas or anything like that. Just here in Studio 1N, somewhere in north-central Arkansas, where it rained for like 10 minutes today, and I'm in a crappy mood. So, back to the other star of the show, Richard, KB5JBV. If Russ should offend anybody while this episode is in progress, please send those emails to Russ at gmail.com crabbyassruss at gmail.com and send a carbon copy to uh bill so uh it's uh been hot down here in texas y'all and uh, i know it's been hot other places too and down here 104 degrees is not like it is when you're further north but it's still been warm and with my new vocation uh well, not new vocation, but uh, most recent vocation. I spend a lot of time outside. So, Russ is hot. I am not. Life is good. Let us say hello to everybody in the chat room. Hello, everybody in the chat room. Okay, let's do it this way. In the chat room tonight with us, we have K5TUX, the other KB5JBV, uh, Cheryl, Jagged2600, K9WKA, the real star of this show, KB3CDA, KE5WMA, Ustreamer67546, and WI0N. Thank you all for showing up this evening. Oh, look, everybody's saying hello. I can't believe we run little Paul off. He'll get over it. He'll be back. So, what do we got going tonight, Russ? I don't know. You tell me. As I said, I'm in a bad mood, so 
It's all it's all up to you tonight. I think we're going to do mostly feedback, though. He going to be all crabby and stuff. Well, let's do that, and then we can top it off with something else if we need to. Or we might look at him typing. He's just typing away. I am typing away. I'm trying to keep myself preoccupied. He's trying to keep himself preoccupied. I know that we've had people ask us not to do it in the past, but I think this time we're going to do it this way because Richard is a spontaneous kind of individual. So our first email is from Fraser. It says, hi, guys. I listened to the podcast today at work and heard that you guys were thinking about scrapping the MP3 format for the podcast. I understand why you want to do this, but I personally listen to the podcast on my way to work on my iPod. If you scrap the MP3 feed, then I would be unable to listen when it is convenient. So I might not be able to listen anymore. I would, it would suck to be without the podcast, but in the end, it's your show and you can do what you want. Thanks guys. And that comes from Fraser. Fraser been really busy and Fraser got a good point. I myself listen to podcasts on the two iPods I still have that are surviving simply because it's far less a pain in the badger than trying to load them on, keep track of what's going on with them with my Sansa clips. I would not trade my Sansa clips for no amount of money and I would not spend any more money on an iPod, but it just works easier that way. What are your thoughts, Russ? The first thing I'd like to say is that when I proposed this little poll of ours, which I didn't get on the website, I was more or less interested in what people thought about it. I don't think that we were actually planning on scrapping the MP3 feed. It seems to be quite popular, and most of our listeners use it. But in the interest of being, you know, creative commons and open source friendly and all that kind of thing, it's something that some podcasters are doing these days. However, most don't. Most have an MP3 feed and an AUG feed and maybe some other kind of feed along with that. I think we'll keep our MP3 feed, but I was curious what people thought about it. So you don't have to worry about losing your MP3 feed. It'll stick around. Linux in the ham shack will be MP3. And AUG, for those people who like AUG format and who can listen to it without, you know, having to go through the contortions to do that, using your Sansa clips, your Sansa Vuses, your other podcast devices which play non-proprietary formats. Apple iPods not included. For those of you who do have Sansa or uh, iPods, uh, there is a program out there or an operating system for it out there called Rockbox. Rockbox would allow you to convert it to uh, be able to play an AUG in some of the other formats also. However, Rockbox is, you know, you can't hardly beat the uh, iPod-iTunes uh, combination as far as them working together. That's my biggest problem moving over to uh, uh, using my Sansa Clips for podcasts is because the two iPods I still have, it does everything for me. Once I've played, they get marked played, they drop out of the playlist, I don't see them anymore and don't have to fool with them. Uh, when the next one downloads, the previous ones end up being deleted. Uh, it's uh, laziness more than anything else. However... Uh, go on over and check out Rockbox, and I don't have that URL available. It would be rockbox.org. 
Y'all go on over to www.rockbox.org. All right, so next one, and I know I'm I'm trying to fill some time so that Russ can finish doing what he's doing. In the interest of some kind of full disclosure, I will let Fraser know that, first of all, thank you for sending in your email and your comments about the MP3 feed, but also I listen to all of my podcasts using iTunes and an iPod. The MP3 actually works for me, too. That's how I listen to most everything. Well, that, you know, and that's the whole point. I've looked at a lot of podcatchers and uh, a lot of stuff to try and integrate these iPods into the rest of the business around here. And unfortunately, there's not a, a great solution at this time for them. So uh, as long as I have at least one machine that I have to keep Windows on, then um, I'm going to keep using these until they quit like my big one did. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is a piece of, uh, or a comment from over on the website. Uh, this is from KG4GIY. In answer to your question, MP3 or AUG, I prefer the MP3 MP3 version only because I am subscribed to LHS through iTunes. In about three weeks, it won't matter because I will be converting to Fedora as my full-time desktop. Uh, D-E-K-G-4-G-I-Y. Well, once again, uh, there are challenges using the, the Linux and uh, everything else. There is a way to convert these uh, uh, iPods so that they can play. You know, if anybody was going to convert iPod over to Rockbox, it would be Russ if it turned out to be an uh, easier thing. Don't get me wrong. I love Rockbox. I think it's great. Unfortunately, it doesn't allow me the integration that I get with iTunes and the iPod. And uh, things are coming along on the Linux side, and they're almost there. They're just not quite there just yet. And if any of y'all have found a better way, uh, y'all send us an email. I am serious as a heart attack. Send, send it to me or send it to Russ or send it to info at lhspodcast.info. And, uh, let us know because I'd be, I'd be happy to try it and we will talk about it on this show. So let's see what, I got, what else we got in old, old Bingen over here. Um, oh, hang on. Uh, WI0N in the chat room has said I'm being pretty congenial as far as he can tell. So I guess this is where I say, shut up and go away. See, see, y'all should have, y'all should have heard Russ the first time I told him that some people deserve a good killing. (laughs) He got mad at me. It's probably the only time I can think of he ever did, but he did. Well, at least other times I didn't hear about it. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm a bad boy. You wasn't with me. I was just kidding about that. We like WI0N because he's sending us a lot of feedback, and he's also listening to the shows, like, big time. We hear we hear a lot out of him. By the way, thanks, Dave, KG4GIY, for your assessment of MP3. Congratulations on moving over to a desktop for Fedora. That That's pretty cool, and I guess that means you're going to be using GPotter or some other podcatcher that will handle OGS. Then you won't have to worry about your iTunes and your MP3 feed and all of that kind of stuff. KG4GIY, by the way, is the ham radio editor over at Linux Journal. That's why it sounds familiar. Yeah, we had him and Sean Powers on the show uh, quite a few episodes back. We have another one here on the MP3 debate. Want to go ahead and do that one? 
Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this one's from Matt. Matt says, I have two conflicting thoughts on the MP3 versus AUG debate. On one hand, I think if you are interested in Linux or amateur radio, you are probably a smart person who should find it remarkably easy to convert an AUG file to whatever format you desire. On the other hand, most people use MP3 for convenience. If it's not easy to get the show, you will lose listeners. You can reach more people with MP3 than AUG. That's just the way it is. Even the folks at the Software Freedom Law Show have an MP3 feed. And that's from Matt. So thanks very much, Matt, for your comments on MP3 versus AUG. What do you have to say to Matt? Well, Dave Yates doesn't have one. Heh. The Software Freedom Law Center has one. Who are they? They're the people who defend open source projects from patent and copyright and other legal issues. Oh. Anyway, so uh, as far as the converting and that kind of stuff, yes. The whole point is... Every major operating system you can run MP3s on. Uh, I don't know if you can run AUGs on Apple. Russ could tell you better than I could on that because I've never really had my, I haven't had my hands on Apple since Apple II. But, uh, that, that's the whole point. You, yes, you can convert them. And in fact, some of the, uh, some of the utilities in Linux for downloading, uh, podcasts will convert them when they go to put them on an iPod. I think Gpotter does that. If we want to reach the broadest audience, the MP3 is the way to go. People that really don't care about that, they put out an AUG feed only. You know, I bring up Dave Yates. Dave Yates is a great guy, and he's got a good show, but I don't think he particularly cares to have people that don't use open source every day listen to it because he went to that AUG only feed. What's your opinion? There's an interesting little bit about iTunes and AUGs. You brought this up just a second ago. Thanks to the folks over at Ziff.com, that's X-RayIndiaPapaHotel.com, they have the components that make it possible to play AUG files in QuickTime and iTunes. The only problem is you're able to, using iTunes, convert those files into something else, like you can convert an AUG file into MP3, or AAC, for example, using the ZIP plugins. The problem is, once you take a file out of a feed and convert it to something else, it winds up in your regular iTunes music library. There's no way that I've found, and I've looked, to get that file back into the original podcast feed. And if you're someone like me who uses an external device that's plugged into the iPod, when you're listening to podcast feeds, those converted files don't show up anymore. And for me, that's kind of a no-win situation. So if somebody knows how to get those converted files, like if I wanted to listen to the Kernel Panic Oddcast, for example, in iTunes, where I can download it, listen to it in iTunes, but if I actually want to insert it on my phone... I would have to convert it into MP3 or AAC or something like that and then somehow get it back into the podcast feed as an MP3 file. So far as I know, that can't be done. If it can be done, I certainly hope someone will let me know how because that would save me a lot of trouble. It would also actually let me listen to the Colonel Panic Oddcast more frequently. I seem to have wandered. I was just asking what your thoughts were on audience participation. How many people are going to listen to us if we got an AUG-only feed as opposed to MP3 feed? 
not nearly enough. I think we need to keep our MP3 feed in order to keep our audience intact. I was pretty much leaning that way when I asked the question. I did want to hear people's responses, though. And there, and there you go. In fact, uh, that's the reason, um, in, in my opinion, that's the reason for us having an AUG feed, because there's some people that won't listen to us because it's the MP, because of the MP3 feed. If we only had MP3 feed, they wouldn't listen. I've dropped it over at the other show, but I wasn't really getting a lot of hits over there. And the few people I did ask told me that uh, it really didn't make a difference one way or the other to them. They only downloaded Dog because they were running Linux and could do it. We pretty much covered that. I wonder how many more que- many more emails like that we have. Do we have any more on the MP3 feed issue? Yep, this one came in as a comment on the website. This one comes from Charles, KJ4VEB, Kilo Juliet 4, Victor Echo Bravo. And his comment on the feed thing was, I would be more than willing to try the AUG format. Most likely will be, being that I never heard of it until episode number 43. Only comment is a lot of people may not be familiar with it, including Charles apparently. But anyway... Thank you, Charles, for your comment on the website. That's KJ4VEB. And he seems to be pro-AUG, but only because it's a format that's different that he hasn't heard of. And he thinks that because AUG formats may not be very popular or may not be very embedded in the public consciousness, that we probably should stick with it. And I think that's where we stand on the issue as well. Well, that's, that's the whole point is, you know, I'm the first one to tell you, I like AUG. In fact, you can get a, in most cases, a smaller, better sounding file with AUG, which means you can get more stuff in the limited space you have on these, uh, on these media players. So I am not anti AUG in one tiny little bit. However, if you want the most people to listen to your show, and that's our objective more than anything else is you get the, as many people listening to us as as possible. Because Russ and I, the fact that we have our own show, that just goes to show you right there that we are impressed and in love with our own voices and want to make sure that we share them with everybody. Right. Don't let anybody be confused. This entire show is completely about narcissism doesn't have anything to do with Linux, open source, or getting information out there, mentoring, or anything of the sort. We are just in love with ourselves. I thought that was the other show. What other show? My narcissism show. Oh, you have a narcissism podcast? It's not in my feed reader. Yeah, it's there. You just think it's something else because I sound intelligent when I do it. (laughs) We are done with batteries, but we're going to start on mobile antennas pretty soon. <laughs> I guess I'm going to look at that podcast in a whole different light now. Well, there you go. Narcissism Central. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, now I think we're finally finished with the great MP3 debate. Since we don't have any more on the MP3 debate right now, do we want to kind of hit some music and come back with more feedback? Why wow, have we been going that long? I don't know. I'm not sure how long I started recording. Oh, play the Badger music.
Okay, and we're back. You said we had a had a uh, somebody actually call in and leave some feedback. Yes, we actually had someone call in and leave feedback. Why don't we listen? Why don't we listen to that? Well, the only problem is this one came after an email he sent us, so maybe we should do his email first and then the voicemail since they're in the proper order. I don't have it. Yes, you do. It's the one from Ross. Oh, that one. Yeah. So let's go ahead and do the email first since that one's the older one, and then we'll do the voicemail. Here's the one for Ross. Hi, fellas. I'm about to set up the following in on Windows, and and he did say I've. Uh, and I'd like to end up with a Linux solution. I'm writing a TCP IP client application that connects with AGWPE's windsock layer so that I can get digitized packet data, satellite telemetry through a rig blaster plug and play device. Does FLGG have that lower level layer that works with the sound card? to digitize and format KISS data, or does it sit on top of that layer like HRD does on Windows? Let me know if this doesn't make sense. I'm just hashing out these things and am pretty much a newbie here. And that comes from Ross, W-I-0-N. Well, Ross, since you're in the chat room and you can cuss me back if I I tell you the wrong thing, uh, it's kind of like this. I don't know. I've had so much difficulty with packets since I moved over to Linux, and it's simply because I didn't have a decent knowledge of any of it before I started fooling with it. Things have uh, changed, but unfortunately, when you go looking around, the only how-tos you can find are 10 years old, and things are way different now than they were. I know that you can go in, you can fire up uh, one of the APRS clients and stuff, get it loaded in and everything. When you go to fire it up, it works like it's supposed to. So, And uh, a lot of that stuff has been included in the kernel now that wasn't in the kernel back then. Everything else, I just haven't gotten back around to it. However, my suggestion would be is go over to the FLDG website. The guy that, the guy that writes FLDG is a pretty good guy. And uh, there shouldn't there should be a lot of similarities between it and HRD simply because Simon makes no bones about the fact that he took code F out of FLDG to stick it into HRD, which I don't know how he gets away with that, but I guess that's because them guys got Augcast and now I find out they got MP3. Anyway, so for the most part, I'll take a look into it. I wish we had an application like AGWPE for the Linux side because I used it quite heavily before I moved over. I mean, I had six or eight different programs running through my AGWPE Pro, and in fact, I've still got it on a machine around here somewhere and ready to go, but I don't really have any use for it. Now I've talked in circles for 10 minutes. Russ, what do you think? first thing I think is that for those of the podcast listeners out there who may not know what AGWPE is, since that's a five-letter acronym, maybe you ought to tell people what it is. AGW Packet Engine. The, 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 guy, that run, the guy that wrote it is SV2AGW, SW2, SV2AGW, I think it is. He's, uh, 
He's in Greece. I can't remember his doggone name, but uh, the first three letters are the last three letters of his call sign. And Packet Engine is just, you plug programs into one end, and it talks to your uh, TNC on the other end about basically what it does. It's kind of a router more than anything else for KISS mode TNCs and that kind of stuff. SV2AGW. Thank you, Bill. Bill saves my butt again. Well, here's the thing. I don't really have an answer to this either. Packet radio is not my strong suit. I'll freely admit that up front. I don't believe FL Digi will have any of its own code as far as that's concerned. Talking to TNCs and doing packet transmission in Linux is probably based on the AX.25 kernels uh, module. That's pretty low level. And it doesn't involve TCP IP because Packet has its own protocol stack, AX.25. However, you can access information about AX.25 and maybe you can use it to somehow convert what you're doing to uh, TCP IP. I'm not sure if you're trying to put TCP IP over something to make it Packet compatible or if you're just trying to interface a TCP IP device with a KISS mode packet device. But in either case, you might want to check out the website www.ax25.net stroke kiss.aspx. has a lot of infer- interesting information there about packet mode, about AX.25, from a protocol stack look, and you might get something out of that to help you on the way to whatever it is you're trying to do here. Uh, if that doesn't help you out, I do apologize, but I don't really have any, you know, any information or anything useful to add. I'm just trying to sound like I know something. Well, there, <laughs> and actually, there are um, via packet radio. There are some uh, some cases where you do actually run TCP/IP over the air. Um, that's something that's been involved in uh, packet radio for some time. Uh, but it's going to take a little more digging in than I really think we have to spend at this point. Let me uh, dig into it some, take another look at it, and we will uh, get back to you on that. Currently, I don't see anything in the repositories that's specifically geared toward uh, telemetry, but like I said, we'll check into it. Okay, and now we have that voicemail from Ross, which may or may not follow up on this email, but we'll see what happens. I'm going to try and dig it out of the works here. I have it queued up, I think. So here we go. This is our voicemail we just got from Ross. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Ross, W-I-0-N, calling. I left you all a, an email message um, last episode um, regarding um, doing some uh, AX.25 um, stuff like the uh, um, on Linux, trying to get a driver that I can get ASCII out of um, using the sound card. So um, I left some questions on that. But I've got a little more information from the research I've done. I'll keep it quick in case you want to put this on the air. So I guess the sound modem uh, driver is in Linux. I'm not sure which of the... Uh, distros have that, but it looks like that's going to do the AX.25 decoding and work with the uh, your uh, sound card, and you'd be able to access that as a device and, and get an ASCII stream out of that. So 
So that is what I'm looking for. I want to um, eventually get that to a TCP/IP um, server, socket server, and then um, from that be able to attach to that from any um, Berkeley socket clients or you know, TCP/IP clients, and then get that data coming out. So my my goal was to get a link from a Linux uh, kernel and sound card, get an ASCII stream, APRS, or any of the telemetry, the satellite telemetry also. But anyway, packet data in a text-readable format. So it looks like, um, and Russ, you may be able to comment on this, slash dev slash sound modem zero, that device. Um, I saw that on a little bit of research. And uh, Richard, you were asking about the AX.25 solution. Um, this is um, down like kernel level, but it seems like it might be pretty easy to get hooks into that if you're going to write little applications, which I am. I'm a software developer by trade and also electrical engineer, so if I need to wire up some hardware, do that. But it looks like that. But um, well, that's it. I just want to clarify on some of the research I've done, and if you guys want to um, add some more to that, this is something I really want to build on. Maybe we can um, take it up on a subsequent episode, and if I get something working, I'll be glad to share with that. Thanks. WI0N clear. And there you have it. That's from Ross, WI0N. While that was playing, I was looking up a little bit, and I do see that the AX25 kernel module in Linux does have some kind of support for the AX.25 protocol coming out of a sound modem. He mentioned the the device slash dev slash sound modem zero. And I see that you can, if you have a TNC in KISS mode, take that data stream and have it come directly out of a sound modem using AX.25. And I guess once you have that, you're looking at an ASCII stream. I believe that's the way it comes out of um, the driver. Pushing that into a socket or using a pipe to dump it out of a TCP IP port, whether UDP or TCP, should be fairly basic. This topic is, I think, way above where most people listening to us probably are at, and uh, I'm not sure how much deeper we want to go into this, but I think uh, if you look at AX.25 and you get data coming out of a sound modem using that sound modem device uh, as an ASCII stream, then using something to just push that, like even something simple like Netcat or just piping through a socket, or sorry, not a socket, but piping through a TCP port should make uh, interfacing with that data uh, as a raw stream pretty simple over TCP IP. I, I guess uh, we probably shouldn't go too much further into this because it's a very complicated topic. So what do you think? I don't know. You you lost me when you was talking about sockets and pipes and stuff. Yeah, I said socket <laughs> a couple of times, and uh, that's not what I meant because we're actually talking about we're actually talking about TCP IP using ports. Well, actually, Ross is a lot smarter about this stuff than I am. He, he's a programmer. We probably need to hook him and Ted up if we get a chance because they, they might be able to work it out. Uh, also, I was, uh, look, when I ran over to AX25 and, and looked at the, uh, link that they were sending you over to and it reminded me that K9Q is one of the guys that writes one of the, uh, NOS node uh, pieces of software. I can't remember if it's JNOS or TNOS, but, uh, you might try giving, get touching base with him also. Uh, 
because uh, he's been around quite a while. And in fact, when I first got on Linux, I specifically got on Debian because the guy that I was talking to about Packet was running Debian, and uh, he was going. We were going to try and get uh, Packet set up first thing, and that's the main reason that I start got gravitated to Debian. And uh, he since disappeared and never finished helping me out and all that stuff. But anyway, so, um, yeah, let us research it. You check around. We'll check around. If Ted ever shows up, I think he's at church tonight. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on it. In fact, maybe we need to write a, write a, start a letter writing campaign to, to George out there in, in Greece and tell him, Hey dude, how come I ain't no packing engine for Linux? <laughs> you just right. like stirring the pot, don't you? No, I like watching everybody else stir the pot. Oh, okay. Because I'm lazy. All right. Well, I think that's it from Ross. So let's move on to the next one. We got one here from from WWKB9TMP. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit about Field Day. KB9TMP is referencing something that I talked about in an episode two episodes back. I guess I can oh, go ahead and read this. How about oh, I read you, it? Oh, you want me to read it? Oh, no, I'll read it. I can read it. I'll read it. You can read the next one. No, I can't. I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead and read this one then. Oh, okay. Russ, you were talking about field day being handicap accessible on LHS 42. Just wanted to let you know that the Hoosier Hills Ham Club, and maybe I should have let Russ read it, at www.w9qyq.org has their field day behind one of the local churches here in Bedford, Indiana. They use outdoor shelter, which was just off of the blacktop parking lot, and the shelter had a concrete floor, all of which was handicapped wheelchair accessible, except where the power cables and coax were run. They did a uh, very good job of trying to include everyone in their field day event. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that there were some clubs that do make an effort, make the extra effort. Uh, by the way, I am not a member of that club, but I'm thinking seriously about joining up with them. That's from K, KB9TMP. Thank you. Uh, go get them, Russ. Thanks, KB9TMP. I can't tell from this what your name actually is. Is, is his name Warren, or do I have to go to QRZ to look this thing up? I mean, he's, he's making my life hard here. I had his the name name he goes by at one time, and I can't remember what it is. I just call him W. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. According to according to QRZ, his name is Bill. So let's call him Bill. How about that? Okay. I just call him Bill. All right. If Bill Hello, is incorrect, Bill? <laughs> yeah. If Bill's incorrect, I'm sure we're going to hear from Bill. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bill, thanks very much for the email. I do appreciate it. And I'm happy to hear that W9QIQ uh, had a an accessible field day event. I didn't want to particularly single, single out any field day event that I went to because there were several in the area, and I only got to attend two of them. Both of them were just completely wheelchair inaccessible. I, I know that's kind of the nature of the beast when it comes to field day events, but it's nice to see that some people actually kind of think ahead and realize that not everybody's as mobile as everybody else, 
and some people are prepared for those who show up in wheelchairs or with walkers or have crutches or whatever other impediment occurs to them and are still able to participate in field day. And maybe next time around, next year, when field day comes around, I'll try some of the other clubs and see how their setups are. And if it turns out that they're not wheelchair accessible too, I may go on a campaign to try and get somebody to realize that there's at least one person in the area who's in a wheelchair who might like to play with a radio now and again. So that, that's about all I had to say about field day. And um, I, I enjoyed the experience. It had been a while since I've been to field day. I had a good time. I just would have liked to show Cheryl some of the fun of the hobby and couldn't really do it. So, But thanks for your email. And now over to Richard, who's going to say very little about this, and we'll probably move on. And there you go. That There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The first time ever on the show you see Russ getting torqued up about something. He, he's unhappy, and I would be afraid. I would be very afraid because he does stuff. Uh, there are very few that go out of their way to be wheelchair accessible, uh, the, but simply by the nature of the way they set up, they are wheelchair accessible. Uh, there are some that use trailers and uh, emergency vans and stuff like that that uh, they don't put a second thought to it. And um, I know that uh, one club here locally used to have a step van that you, there ain't no way you could have got a wheelchair up in that van simply because of the way it was set up. However, with the large number of handicapped ham radio operators out there, you, there are bound to be plenty, plenty of uh, handicap accessible uh, field day sites out there. So, yeah, buddy, we'll be ripping them next year because it's okay if we rip them up there where uh, Russ is. Uh, I made a negative comment about one down here and got eat, and got my badger eat out by uh, the club president. And it's not the one I'm normally griping about. It's another one. Let's go ahead and get through the ones I've got here, and then we can talk about the big one after the break. Big badger email. All right, go ahead. The big badger email. That's right. That's what, that's what I said. Yeah. Here's one from Paul, KE5WMA, and he says, first of all, let me say that this one actually came in as a live support email using the live support feature I added to the website. So thanks, Paul, for using that and testing it out. It worked perfectly. I've got your email here. Uh, Sorry, I wasn't online to answer this question, but let's do it now. He says, what is a good Coke method Morse code trainer that runs under Linux? I didn't really have an answer to this one, so I went and looked it up. There's a SourceForge project called CW Trainer, which is at SourceForge.net stroke projects stroke CW Trainer that does both Farnsworth and Coke training. And uh, it's a regular X window. It looks very simple as far as training. Uh, it doesn't have a package, so you're going to have to download the source and build it. But it's a straightforward build. It's just a download, configure, make, make, install, standard procedure there. And uh, that's pretty much all there is to it. There are some CW trainers in the repositories. I don't know if they support the Coke method of CW. I can look that up and send it back to you in an email. But CW trainer and the URL that I just gave you is definitely one that does. And with a little effort, you can have that one working for you. Well, we got a couple more bits of feedback here. We're going to wrap up before the break, and then we're going to hit a long one. We got a couple episodes ago, 
that may take the rest of the episode to address. But we had a couple of people report that G-Potter wasn't responding to the MP3 feed. We had uh, Rich, KG0BJT, from over at the Low SWR podcast, send us this message via the website. For some reason, the MP3 RSS feed is not working under G-Potter 2.2. It'll show up to episode 40, but nothing newer. Thanks for the great show. Well, Rich, thanks for the great email. And here's the other one on the same subject. This one comes from Dan, KG4JCL, who says, I agree with KD0BJT. I had wondered what happened to you guys when G-Potter stopped updating the MP3 feed. I'm currently running G-Potter version 2.3 on Fedora 12. The feed shows up as the proper feed in G-Potter. Firefox will not load the feed either if I click on the link from the main page. I hope this helps. LHS and Linux Outlaws are two of my favorite podcasts. Listening to you guys makes me feel like I'm at a club meeting. Keep up the good work. Well, Danny, thanks for the email. I'm not sure if feeling like you're at a club meeting is a good thing or not, but we're going to assume it is. They both said that they were getting problems uh, receiving the MP3 files via gpotter. Two different versions of gpotter, two different versions of Linux, etc., etc., etc. I sent an email back to Rich saying that he probably just needed to delete the feed from gpotter and re-add it, and that fixed it for him. I haven't sent that email over to Danny because I got this email a little bit later. But Danny tried deleting and re-adding the feed to gpotter. That seemed to work for Richard. Maybe it'll work for you. I said Richard. I probably should say Rich to differentiate the two folks. But give that a shot, see what happens, and uh, hopefully that will do it for you. you have anything to add to that, Richard? No, no. There's some, uh, there are a few couple known bugs in gpotter and that uh, you... I think you pretty much uh, hit it on the head. I, I, as long as they've got it going again, and y'all, you guys get with us and let us know if the AUG feed's working for you now. Uh, after uh, uh, fixing it up the way Russ told you, because he knows more about that stuff than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you always say that, but I think you're lying. Anyway, oh, I'm just a dumb old feller. You can tell by the way I talk. Well, we're not going to get into that again. <laughs> okay, we did get one donation. This is from Paul, who sent us an email as well. We answered his question a little while back. So, Paul, KE5WMA, I think that I have that right here. Uh, KE5WMA, yeah, that's right. So, thanks very much for your donation, Paul. That'll go towards our hosting costs and help keep the podcast running. So, thanks a lot. Well, the last thing I have on my list before we go to the break and address this huge email we got is uh, the bit about Black Sparrow Media. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, or do you want me to talk about it? Well, that's your baby. You talk about it. Well, it was your baby first. Let, um, let Give everybody the lowdown on Black Sparrow Media, even for me, because I'm not sure I know the whole story, and then I'll, and then I'll do my little one-minute reintroduction. Well, no, the old Black Sparrow Media was um, uh, a different situation. Um, what uh, Russ is trying to pull together is something that I had been discussing back and forth with people and uh, had brought up two or three times and never got around to over the years, which was to uh, have a location kind of like they have over at, uh, oh, what do they call it, Hack Republic Radio, uh, to pull some of the shows that uh, we listen to together in one spot because we, we figure there's other people out there that uh, want to do the same. 
as far as uh, Black Sparrow, the original BlackSparrowMedia.com, it is out of business. But uh, uh, I think his new project is ultimately the the more worthy of the two to carry on the tradition. So uh, since since Russ is the uh, major organizer on this thing, I better let him tell y'all about it. Go ahead, Russ. Okay. Well, I don't want you to feel like I. I'm trying to take something out from under here because I just wanted to use a name that had already been put out there. Well, no, you don't have to apologize. If I had a problem with it, I'd have told you to badger me. (laughs) You tell me to badger you all the time. It's kind of scary. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I went ahead when, when blacksbarrowmedia.com kind of died, I noticed that a lot of the, a lot of the folks out there on the internet had linked to us through blacksparrowmedia.com. And it's kind of hard to keep track of everybody who did that. I wanted to make sure that people who were want, who were wanting to listen to Linux in the Hamshack and the Resident Frequency podcast could still do that. Well, unfortunately, Richard had blacksparrowmedia.com domain. So I started, so I got with him to try and get that back. And I think there's a story behind that over at host. can, which Richard can tell you in a second. But I went ahead and, and registered BlackSparrowMedia.net, and I put Linux in the Hamshack and Resonant Frequency in my new podcast, the QSK Netcast, over there. And we're going to try and haul a bunch of people in and use the power of community to make our podcast more powerful and to get more listeners to each and every podcast that joins our network. So BlackSparrowMedia.net is the new site. You can link to all of the podcast members through there. You can get links to the feeds, information about who's a member of the network, and you'll probably be hearing bumpers throughout the podcasts and anybody who joins that reference the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. So that's just a new thing about that. If you want to go to the site, blacksparrowmedia.net, that's cool. Um, I don't think we have any email addresses set up for it right now, but we'll get around to that. That links to all of our websites, Linux in the Hamshack, Resident Frequency, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully we'll have some new podcasts on the horizon as well. Getting everybody together should, you know, cross-pollinate our listeners, hopefully bring more people in. And well, that's kind of the whole purpose behind it. So go check out blacksparrowmedia.net if you uh, get a chance. And, of course, blacksparrowmedia.com is a forwarder to that. Which means that all of those sites that link to our web, you know, our web content and our podcasts via BlackSparrowMedia.com now work again. So yay for that! Anyway, uh, you had some kind of a problem with host I can. One thing y'all have to remember is that when you sign up over at a web hosting service and they give you a free domain for life, that in some cases they may lock that bad boy down where you can't get it if you leave them. So, uh, we had, we had an epic struggle with the guys at Host I Can and ended up having to pay them for something that we were supposed to get for free in the first place and everything else. However, blacksparrowmedia.com is pointed to the right location. So, uh, y'all go on over and check out blacksparrowmedia.com. Check out, uh, blacksparrowmedia.net. Um, when I was over there the other day, the contact uh, email at the bottom of the first page was uh, not correct, but we be, will be correcting that within the next few days. And um, like I said, this particular idea has been, I bounced it off Russ and talked to Jerry Taylor about it and some others, and 
uh, everything else. So once we get rolling on this thing, we're going to be able to get uh, quite a few podcasts in uh, under this one site. So uh, y'all keep checking over there to see what's going on, and uh, uh, we'll keep y'all posted here and on the other show, and uh, probably on the ones that join in with us as they start to come online. So uh, y'all go over and check it out, blacksparrowmedia.net, blacksparrowmedia.com. And, uh, in fact, send us some email and let us know. If you love it, send it to, uh, send it to Russ at, uh, lhspodcast.info. Is that right, Russ? K5TUX at lhspodcast.info. K5TUX at lhspodcast.info. Yeah, or you can send like mail to Richard at, uh, or, uh, kb5jbv at gmail.com. And if you really, really hate it, send it to ka9wka at grappyoldbill.com. I'm going to have to go register grappy old bill now. I'm just picking on you, Bill, and I know you're cussing me in the chat room right now, but I can't see you. So, uh, I'm safe. All right. So, uh, have we got anything else before we go to break, Russ? That's all I've got before the break. All right. Well, y'all hang in there and we'll be right back. Oh, you're too smart for me. Oh, you're too smart for me. 
anyway, we're back and we're coming down to the home stretch on another fabulous episode of self-promoting, self-aggrandizing Linux and Ham Shack. And if you get some content in the process, lucky you. The last but not least email is one we got the last time around. We decided to ruminate on it a little bit. comes from Randall, KC4WZE, and this is going to be one of the multi-part pieces of feedback, y'all, so uh, we're going to stop and talk about it a little bit every so often. So y'all hang with us. And it reads, Russ, I don't know why they keep I'm starting to feel like Tom over at that Linux show. Russ, you know what they say about opinions. They're all like badgers. Everybody has one. I don't have a badger. And they all stink. I wouldn't think so, not if you keep them washed. Anyway, except mine. My thought, my thoughts on podcast number 39, there are two things necessary to bring Linux into the spotlight for it to gain widespread public acceptance. The first is rather simple. The second is not. As you pointed out, when people think of a PC, they think of Windows. It is a PC. It runs Windows. It, if it runs Windows, it's a PC. I believe it is a losing battle to try and change the perception, so create a new one. Create a new device, and the entire Linux community adopt the name. It doesn't matter much what the name is, is, but it refers to the computer and a piece of hardware running or a piece of hardware running a Linux. A Linux box, Linbox, Tux, or anything else. I kind of like the Tux along with the, the Penguin logo. Most people understand that there is a difference between a Mac and a PC and do not expect a program written for one to run on the other. Avoid setting the expectations that either will run on a Tux. However, work to make sure that all Tux programs run on all Tux boxes. When your friends ha when your friend has a problem with his PC being full of viruses, then you can convert him convert it to a Tux. I would be it would be nice if we could uh, get Tux stickers to put on the front of the box to indicate that it is no longer a PC, but instead a Tux. I might be, uh, it might be possible to one day order online either a PC or a Tux. One of the most important aspects of this point is that the applications be portable between Tux boxes. We, we know that not every Windows program runs on every PC. There are usually a long list of requirements, but as much as, po as much as possible, all Tux applications need to run on all Tux computers. Obviously, myth on a computer without access to a TV tuner will have limited functionality, but you know what I mean. Whew! And that ain't the the start of it, y'all. So, like, let's go down through here. What do you think about the uh, building a specific piece of hardware specifically for Linux? Well, first of all, that kind of thing's already been done. There are companies like Zerizen and System76 and Penguin Computing 
and probably lots more that I'm not thinking of right now, that build Linux-compatible hardware. They take a look at the Linux kernel. They see what drivers are embedded in it. They find hardware that is compatible with those drivers and run flawlessly. They build hardware to the Linux kernel specification and make sure that when they install an operating system on those pieces of hardware, that they work perfectly. The same goes for embedded software. You know, there's lots of devices out there. Take a look at the TiVo, for example, or any other piece of hardware that runs embedded Linux. Those are all pieces of hardware that are Linux-specific. They're designed to run Linux well, and they do. And I don't think this is changing people's perceptions of what a personal computer is. A PC is a PC. Basically, if you're not running a Macintosh, you're running a PC. And I don't think trying to change people's perception is going to work, at least not this way. Having a Linux box, a Linbox, a Tux box, or something like that is already being done. They're not necessarily called something that directly references Linux, but there are companies and there are hardware manufacturers that do put boxes together that are Linux-compatible and Linux-specific. And I don't see it becoming a huge part of the Linux market share or mind share. Now, someone may disagree with me, including Richard, but let's hear your point of view. Well, no, actually, uh, I'm more in that direction than you are because a personal computer, a PC, a personal computer has always been a personal computer. And it doesn't matter if it's one of these uh, Pentium 4 Intels or Pentium 5 Intels or if it's a Commodore 64 or a, a TI-99, it doesn't matter. Those were personal computers. They were PCs. Now, I understand what we're talking about specifically is a box that nowadays sits on your desk and runs Windows. And, you know, all of these computers over here had Windows on them at one time, and now they all have Linux on them. So uh, as far as that's concerned, and you can even retrofit other hardware, uh, the router I'm using right now, there's a... A version of Debian you can put on the thing and uh, turn it from a little insignificant, uh, barely do what it needs to do router into a hot rod router. So uh, as far as changing the perception, the thing about it is people can't distinguish between a Windows machine and an Apple machine, even though they're still basically a personal computer, a PC. So... I'm probably more in that camp than you are. Well, a few years ago, there was a term that kind of addresses the same thing he's talking about here, but it was for Windows. A PC was called a Wintel box because it was based on Intel hardware and an Intel chipset and ran Windows. So there's a name that describes what the PC is supposed to be, just like he wants to call so we'd be calling it something like a Tuxtel box or something like that as opposed to a Wintel box because it's an Intel-based PC that runs Linux. Well, see, that brings, us, that brings us to another point in his paragraph. You know, he was talking about, okay, there's there's some stuff that doesn't run on all PCs, and all stuff should run on uh, Linux uh, equipment. Uh, the same way. Now, it's been my experience, and I'm sure there's some cases out there where it's not that way, but every time I've had to go find a program, uh, bring it down, uh, un- unpack it, unzip it, 
and then uh, jumped through the hoops to get it compiled for my machine, it ran. And it did, and I've gone, and with the tools that are available in Ubuntu, I've pulled down uh, files that were uh, for Fedora and uh, other types of Linux, and on the fly as I installed them, have them converted and redone and put into my system, and they've worked just fine. So as far as cross-compatibility across uh, Linux distributions, I haven't experienced any problems with that. Have you? No, I haven't. And that kind of brings up another thing where in the Windows world, if you want a driver for something, it's usually written by a third party, and it's kind of like aftermarket. You have to go out to the website of the manufacturer, or you have to use the installed driver that came on a disk with your piece of hardware to get it installed, whereas... In the Linux world, if you have a piece of hardware that's in your PC, the chances are the driver is already built into the kernel. All you have to do is load the module, and away you go. It doesn't work with every piece of hardware, but that's just a case of lag in a development cycle. Sometimes a brand-new piece of hardware comes out, and it takes a little while to get that driver developed, but eventually it's going to be compatible across all Linux platforms because all Linux platforms run the same kernel. And, and there you have it. And it's getting more and more like that all, all the time. I'm finding out now that I need to go back and re-examine some of the stuff that I wasn't able to do when I first got on Linux. Uh, because I understand now it's much, much easier to get those things accomplished. You know, it's stuff I can't live without. It's mostly uh, radio related. But now, uh, a lot of this stuff you can do, uh, with, I'm not going to say with ease, but a lot easier than you could when I first started out. Okay, so you ready to move on to the second part? Yep. Do you want me to read it, or are you going to continue? I can do it. All right. Well, let's hit the next paragraph. Okay. Uh, paragraph two. The second is harder. A killer tux appliance. You pointed out that Linux is running in a lot of appliances that people do not even know are Linux, such as cell phones, music players. If I download an app for my Tux cell phone, I want the app to also run on my Tux desktop. Given the logical limitations in understanding that the the app written for a cell phone will not look the same on a desktop, the portability of them is the important thing. Can you picture your music program that you run on your cell phone? You can also load to your car radio. You can also load to your desktop. You can also load to your multimedia TV. You learn the features of the program and not the device. You change the behavior of the device by changing the program. You upgrade and add new features to your TV or your home stereo by getting a new version of the app or replacing the one app for another. And when I say run the same app, I don't mean download the cell phone version of the app or the car radio version of the app. I mean download the app to my cell phone and try it out. If I like it, dock my cell phone to my car radio and transfer the app. When I get home, I dock it to my TV and transfer my new player. I could also dock my portable media player to my car radio and download, not just songs by by apps as well. 
I think he meant butt apps as well. Woo! Now there's a tall order. <laughs> so, so what are you thinking about that one? No one's been able to do that in any realm that I'm aware of. And there's a that sim- that, that seems to me it'd be the holy grail of operating systems. Well, it's not even about operating systems. He's talking about application level stuff. And the thing about that is there are specific limitations in user interface that are going to prevent that from happening. Yes, you might want to download an app that does a particular thing on your cell phone and do that very same thing with the same application on your desktop, but the chances are it's not going to work the same no matter what you try because, for one thing, you've got a lot less screen real estate on one device as opposed to the other device. And then if you want to be able to use that same application on your car radio, you're probably going to have a different user interface than that. In one case, you may have a keyboard. In another case, you may use a mouse or some other pointer device. In the third case, you have some sort of touchscreen interface, so on and so forth. So basically, you're going to have an application that has a lot of if statements in it that says, if the application is running on a mobile device with a 4-inch screen, run it this way. If it's on a desktop with a 22-inch monitor and a keyboard, run it this way. If you're on a touchscreen device, a tablet, an iPad, or something like that, you're going to have to run it a different way. The UI of any application built that way is going to look and feel completely different on a different device simply because of the hardware changes, the specific limitations in user interface. I think it's something to strive for, and you can make an application that works on one device work on another device and feel comfortable, even if it's a little bit different, but you're not going to make something that's exactly the same across all devices and all platforms, no matter what you do. And that's not a Linux specific thing. That's just an application programming specific thing. Now, I'm sure that would be a, a complete nightmare to try and make something like that happen. Now, also you taking into account all the things that could be encompassed in, in what this email says, you know, I've got a router in there that runs software. I've got a television in the living room, my big screen TV. I have to update the firmware or that. I have to update the programming in it every once in a while with a USB stick. I've got computers back here that I run all GNOME desktops on so that, uh, they are pretty much the same on whatever machine I'm on, but that's just about the limitations of the thing. Even uh, it doesn't matter which phone I've had; they've both been different, and they don't even run the same apps. And neither one of them are a, a Linux-based phone. Uh, one of them was a RIM device, and uh, this one I'm uh, <laughs> this one I have here with me tonight. It's uh, I don't know what the operating system on it. It is quite frankly, I just told them, told them I didn't want anything that had Windows on it. <laughs> or WOS as uh, uh Larry and Tom have taken to calling it. And um uh, you know that's that's the whole point and trying to write a program for that would go desktop to car stereo to uh uh telephone to um, you know I don't know a whole lot about programming. I've hung around with a lot of guys that were programmers. And it just seems to me that something like that would be a total and complete nightmare. And neither one of the other two major operating systems uh, has that kind of thing, so I'm not real sure why we would need it in Linux. Yeah, if you look at a Windows PC versus a Windows phone, for example, the two things work completely different. I mean, Windows Mobile 7 and Windows 7 
are nothing alike. I mean, the physical interface is different. The user interface is different. And even though they're both called Windows 7, how those devices work and the applications that run on them are completely different. So that kind of thing is not the thing that's going to fix our Linux problems, getting Linux the mind share that it needs. You know, it's um, it, it doesn't even exist in the mind share of Windows, which is on everybody's mind. And there you have it. Straight from Russ. So we got one more of these. <laughs> we got one more paragraph to address, I think, and then maybe we can summarize. Yeah, well, my last comment on the last one, you know, the even the uh, PDAs we were using, I guess that's what you'd want to call them, uh, at the last place, last place that I worked before the job I have now, you know, they were running uh, uh, software that was running on top of Windows, and, I mean, it wasn't anywhere near any of the three machines that I have here, the wife's machine that's running XP, one of the laptops is running 7, and the other one that's running Vista. And uh, Russ is right, and I think I'm right. You know, it'd be a nightmare to try and do something like that. I mean, it'd be great if somebody figured out how. Uh, they'd probably end up being the next dot-com millionaire. All right, we're down to the down to the wire on this email, and this is this paragraph's a lot shorter, so y'all hang in there with us. Uh, now I understand I will not be running a full-featured open office on my cell phone or car radio. I probably will not be text messaging from my media media player, but there will be those that will want to Twitter every time they watch a DVD on their media player, and Twitter every time they watch American Idol on their Tux TV. The, the killer appliance is the key. It is the appliance that everyone wants, wants, and then they learn that it will talk to all the other Tux devices. Maybe a Tux netbook or tablet will be that first killer device. And that's signed KC4WZE. So what are your thoughts on that, Russ? I can tell you right now that the first Tux netbook is definitely not going to be the killer device because they've already tried that. I understand from a marketing perspective they did it incorrectly, and that was really what killed it, but simply... They started putting out netbooks. The original netbooks, when they first came out, they all ran Linux. The point of that was to keep the cost down. They didn't tell anybody, however, that this stuff wasn't running Windows, and that was the big downfall because everybody took these devices home, tried to run their Windows applications on them, discovered that they couldn't, and took them back. If it had been done properly, things might have been a little different. However... The idea of a Tux-based or a Linux-based netbook is already out there. Linux-based tablets and Linux-based mobile devices are already out there, too. Android, the Google-based Linux, is now overtaking the iPhone in the cellular phone market. I mean, that stuff is out there. And they have ported the Android platform to PC-type devices. And, of course, there's lots of talk about whether or not there's going to be an Android-based tablet on the market soon. There are some devices like the Arcos devices, Arcos 5, Arcos 7, which are Android tablet-like, but they don't really quite match up to what the iPhone has achieved as, as a tablet device. But those things are going to exist. It's only a matter of time. So those Linux devices are going to be out there. 
And as far as other kinds of embedded Linux devices that people use, look at things like TiVo, things like the BoxyBox, which is made by D-Link, things like the Roku. Those all run Linux. Those are all embedded devices. They talk to other platforms, Linux or otherwise. They're embedded. They do what they're supposed to do. I don't know if they're killer appliances, but they already exist. In fact, the appliance market is overrun with Linux. I can't think of a single Windows-based, you know, embedded appliance. Uh, I don't believe there's one out there. Well, there's probably one out there somewhere, but I've never heard of it, and I doubt anyone else has either. Even the Windows 7 cell phone market is in the toilet right now. They can't pull a cell phone out of their ass to save their lives. I think Linux, as far as a killer application, is already there. The fact that people don't know about it is what needs to be changed. You know, you, you've also discussed the fact that you might not run a full-fledged openoffice.org on your phone or car radio. Well, that addresses what I said before. Yeah, you're not going to be doing full text editing or, you know, doing a lot of document preparation on your car stereo, stuff like that. The interface is different, and the whole experience is going to be different. I, I hate to take issue and you know, disagree with basically everything you've said in this email. But unfortunately, I don't think any of the things you said really stack up to reality and how things are going to pan out in the Linux universe. And uh, the original question that this uh, email was an answer to was how do we get Linux into the hands of the people? And I don't think we have an answer to that question still. I'm sure this email is not the answer either. Uh, we'll, we'll get there someday. I believe it. We still have that market where we have Linux devices out there that people don't know they're using, and maybe that's the way it has to be for a while. But eventually, it'll happen. Android will pave the way. We'll have Linux out in the open soon. But, you know, Tux-compatible devices, according to this email, basically everything that's in here, as far as I can tell, already exists in one form or another. And everything that doesn't can't really be done. And when it is, there's going to be another multi-billionaire out there. So I think I think that pretty much sums it up for me. Well, you know, in the perfect world, if things was worked the way they everybody would like, including myself, this would be the perfect way to go about it. But we don't spend enough time talking up Linux. We don't spend enough time showing people Linux, even the guys that are diehard Linux users don't spend enough time promoting it. And it's the same way with amateur radio hobby. I found that as of late, but if you want to hear me talk about that, try the other show. The whole point is there's all these devices out there that people are gradually coming over to this operating system. You know, as far as Android's concerned, my understanding was, the way I remember it, and Russ is probably right, but that originally it was a desktop operating system and evolved to where it is now but there's so much buzz over android phones that it the uh, pr is working back the other way so it's going to take time remember that windows is several years older than the linux operating system and linux has advanced twice or three times as fast over the time period it's been around than micro than uh, windows did and, uh, you know, there's so many things that we can look forward to because it's very positive. 
Russ is right. If somebody could come up with something that would go on every device and work the same way on all of them, that, that would be, he would be the next, uh, millionaire. Uh, it would be the holy grail of, uh, programming. But with that, I think we pretty much beat this particular email to death, but it got us through the last part of the show. Yeah, it sure did. It definitely gave us the last 20 minutes that we need, that we probably didn't need because we talked too much in the first 40. But that's okay because next time, since we didn't do it this time, I guess we'll, uh, that'll give me two more weeks to study on, uh, what I want to, I put on the list for tonight. And I'm not going to tell y'all what it is, not even the people in the chat room, because it's a secret. Well, I guess we'll find out what the mystery topic is in a couple of weeks. There you go. My jokes aren't as funny on the cell phone, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's very funny tonight. I'm just not in the greatest of moods. So hopefully this episode doesn't reflect that uh, that crappiness that I feel. But you are my sunshine boy, Russ. Oh, I'm sorry. Mr. Sunshine all the time. I try to be. I try to be the sun, the ray of the ray of sunshine in everybody's lives, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. I have to have my off okay. days. That list that you have over there that says everybody sometimes some people deserve a good killing, get that and start working down the list. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll start right all after right. we right after the end of the show. I'll work on that. Well, there you go. Okay, since I can't see the chat room, I'm going to say goodbye goodbye, and good night to everybody in the chat room. Thank you for joining us this evening. Come on back the next time, and somebody go find little Paul and find out what kind of bug he's got up his badger. Okay, so uh, that pretty much brings us to the end. If you want to contact me, uh, you can send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. And uh, go over to your social networks, type in kb5jbv. Uh, you never know, you might find me. If you do, friend me up, we'll, we'll have a great time. Also, make sure y'all go over and check out uh, the newest of uh, all, uh, the newest, most wonderful website on the net, blacksparrowmedia.net or blacksparrowmedia.com. Either way, you'll get there. Go check it out and uh, check in regularly so you can keep up on what's going on. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to Russ. Uh, well, kind of. And uh, well, let's see what he got. Go ahead, Russ. Alrighty, everybody. Thanks for listening in to episode number 44. Sorry it was a little bit chaotic, but that's the way it is sometimes. If you want to contact me, you can email me at info at lhspodcast.info. That'll go to myself and to Richard. You can use K5TUX instead if you just want it to go to me. Make sure you go over to the website, lhspodcast.info. Leave us a comment. Check out all the content that's over there. There's a lot of stuff going on. We even have pictures up now. I've got a few more to upload, but you can go ahead and click on those and see pictures of us at various events, some of our listeners, so on and so forth. So check it out. You can leave us a comment by voicemail as well. The phone number is toll-free, 888-455-0305 or 417-200-4811. Leave us a voicemail like W0IN did, or W-I-0-N, I guess it's W-I-0-N, Ross, and uh, we'll put you on the air unless you tell us specifically not to, in which case we'll just dump your voicemail in the trash and we won't listen to it at all. No, just kidding. Let's see, what else is there? I'm on all those social networks. 
It'll end up in the after hours feed or up all night or whatever it is. You'll end up crammed up somebody's badger. There you have it. <laughs> I'm out there on the social networks like Brightkite and MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. You can find me as J.R. Woodman. I'm K5TUX over at 73s.org, the social network for ham radio operators. Go over there and check that out. Make sure you check out the website. Check out blacksparrowmedia.net. Find out any new podcasts that show up in our network. You'll be hearing the bumpers and stuff in the future, so keep that in mind. And also make sure to be at Ohio Linux Fest out there in Columbus, Ohio. We'll be set up. We'll have our podcasting gear, and we'll be raring to go. So make sure you check us out at Ohio Linux Fest. Uh, that's all I've got. So from Studio 1N where the grumpy Russ K5TUX exists somewhere between the peaks and the pine forest of north central Arkansas. I'm going to hand it back to Richard, who's going to say... Oh, I was just going to say, this is KB5JBV from the basement of the Chinese Laundry down on the South Buckner Boulevard in Dallas. Y'all have a good night, and uh, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>